seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have me, Sacred Stone. <laughs> oh, this you crazy mother... Welcome, friends, to episode 8-4 of Color of Magic, your magic and gaming podcast where we talk about all types of things people don't necessarily want to address at the gaming tables, but we're going to do that for you. As always, I am your host, Daquan Watson, and for 84 episodes, still got my main man, Brian Allen, here. How's it going, dude? Pretty good. No major complaints. That's the way to be on our, I guess we'll call it the Randy Moss episode, the 84. Right. You know, I guess, I don't know. I guess it could be the Chris Weber episode. I think he was 84 also, though we don't have a problem. We can take infinite timeouts if we need to, you know. Had to go there. To go there. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, Chris Weber had this uh, scene, I believe it was, when he was in college. He tried to call a timeout when they were out of timeouts and it ended up costing them the game. So, yeah, just one of those things that if you knew you knew but if not there you go for those of you that aren't into the sports ball but man i gotta tell you i i took my second vaccine shot uh i guess now as the time of people listening to this it'll be three days ago and last night wasn't too bad it was it was like a little bit of muscle pain and you know so like and i, and I was fortunate because i felt my temperature sort of change a little bit so I was like, okay, I'm just going to go take a warm bath, chill out for a bit. And then I just went to bed early, decided not to stream just in case. And I woke up feeling pretty good. And you sore, but otherwise feeling pretty good. Though, oddly, I got up like, you know, TMI, got up like three times last night to go to the bathroom. So I guess my body was just like flushing out whatever the problem was. But otherwise, yeah, I'm, I'm actually pretty lucky. I mean, obviously, I'm here doing a podcast the day after, so that's cool. But yeah, I don't know. I got. I feel like I got lucky. I feel like I dodged a couple bullets there. I mean, obviously, you were better off because you had no problems. But well, you know, these things—it's it's totally random. I mean, some people, you know, have a whole lot of effects. Some people, nothing happens. It's just. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I've seen some people talk about like you know they were out for like a whole day or whatever, and then one person today on Twitter responded to me saying. They had no issues for the first like 36 hours and then it hit them. I've heard that from a couple of people too. And I was like, man, that would suck because you're like, oh, I'm in the clear. I'm all good yeah. or whatever. And then all of a sudden you just get hit like a jackhammer and it's just like, oh, that would suck. Because at least like the day after, you're kind of like in awareness mode, right? Like, you know, there could be a thing. So you're like, okay, well, let me relax. Let me take some time off work, you know, just in case. And once you that passes, you're probably like, oh, okay, I'm good. So yeah, that, that would have really sucked. So I'm glad mine just kind of came, I guess, I don't know, I guess it was a full day afterward. I mean, like I got it at like 830 in the morning. So and it didn't even start to even affect me until that evening. So like 12 hours later, I guess. But yeah, overall, like I said, I'm feeling all right, feeling all right. I will say, though, if you want to support the show, check out patreon.com slash color of magic. That helps us keep the lights on and keep this project going, and we are super appreciative of every person who comes through. And you'll get a personalized postcard that I sign and get it out to you myself. And you get access to our discords. You can come by, ask questions, give us show ideas, all kinds of other things. So check that out if you haven't. And then also the show sponsor 
for most of our episodes running, actually. They have been very supportive of us. Cardsphere.com. And the other thing, too, I want to play, say about Cardsphere is they do support a lot of good content creators in the Magic space. So really, really support them. You're helping support some of your favorite creators out there, which is always awesome. And then as a reminder, if you would like to pick up some merchandise, we do have tokens and playmats available at colorofmtg.com slash shop. And I want to say thank you for those of you that already picked some up. I didn't know how interested people were going to be or not, but we've had several packages go out already. So super, super duper thankful for all of that. Now, we do have some things we need to address this week. So we're going to have a good one here in the uh, soapbox because... I'm I'm a little frustrated with this, right? We're because we have people like obviously they're they're trying to like not get vaccinated for all these reasons or whatever, but not realizing that if you just go get your vaccine, we can get back to normal faster. And it sucks because I have viewers, fans, listeners from other countries, like even Germany actually. They were saying they several of them are saying they don't think they're going to get vaccinated until the end of the year. So they're like begging to get it done, and we have people that just no, nah, I'm good. You know, I have even near me, I have places uh, that were saying they have like 600 vaccines just going to waste at the end of the day, that they're just trying to get to other people because people won't show up. Hell, I think I saw it. Was it CVS? I think they said is responsible for almost like half of the unused vaccines in the U.S. Wow. Yeah, like it's crazy, right? So we have all these people and all these just uh, it's crazy. But to that end, the state of Ohio was struggling to get people to come out and get vaccinated. So they decided they were going to do a lottery. They're putting $5 million up. They're going to do $1 million per week. I believe it's every Wednesday for the next five weeks. All you have to do is go get vaccinated, and you are registered for this lottery. And it worked. They were actually getting spikes in numbers. They've seen increases in the in the age categories that have been slumping. And and not only that, they're doing ages 12 to 17 will be eligible for one of five scholarships, four-year scholarships as well. And it's just like sad that this is what it takes. Like, and, and I don't know, like, it's also bad that like those same people were probably people going, oh, well, it's not that bad. And it's, it's not as bad as, as the flu. And it, and it's only has a, 2% chance of killing you and blah, blah, you know, all that stuff, right? You know your odds are worse of winning that lottery, right? Apparently a lot of people in Ohio don't know. Yeah, like, so the thing that actually could kill you, <laughs> you're like, nah, I don't know. But a thing that has worse odds of you actually getting money, you're like, oh, well, I'll go do it now because of that. Like, come on, people. I mean, it's all good. Go get vaccinated. I should I should just not. I mean, you know, don't look a gift horse, I guess. Like, at least they're giving some money back to the people. We're going to get people vaccinated. So, I mean, I guess whatever it takes. I mean, I'd, I'd heard about places in California that were offering, offering, like, free boba teas. You know, some places that were offering massages. You know, like, whatever, just to get people to come in. I mean, it's crazy. Like, we are literally having to bribe people to go take their vaccines. Like, that's sad, man. That's sad. It's so frustrating. But hey, you know what? There's going to be five new 
millionaires, I guess, over the next month in Ohio, and five kids are going to get four-year scholarships. So I guess it ain't the worst situation, but golly. And hey, if you held out, you know, and, and these apparently were people that were going to hold out otherwise. It's not like they knew this was going to happen, but hey, it's, you know, sadly, it, uh, it rewards people who probably shouldn't be rewarded. No, no, everybody who already went is eligible as well. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah, so literally. I thought it was just people that are going now. Nope, you just have to be vaccinated, period, and you are eligible. Okay. Well, Which means, good. if you do the math and assume there's still going to be like some, I don't know, 20% or so that just don't get vaccinated for whatever reason, like your odds are still only going to be like five out of like six million. Assuming like some percentage of the population are also kids and whatever, but like, and and some people probably won't even go try for it because it's a lottery and then maybe they just, yeah, have a thing yeah. against gambling. So. For sure. So yeah, your odds aren't great at all, but you know what? More power to them. I hope they get the whole state vaccinated, and who knows? Maybe maybe Ohio becomes the one of the safest places to travel to in the next few months. Uh, but you know what? We are always trying to make ourselves smarter and learn things. So, Brian, what did you learn last week? All right. This one is actually kind of an update on uh, what did we learn that I don't remember which episode I gave it to you. But uh, I think it's probably during Black History Month I talked about uh, Gerald Lawson, a, a black man who basically designed the technology that, you know, became video game cards. Kind of pretty much yeah. wouldn't have the modern video game industry without his work. And USC is apparently going to do a Gerald Lawson scholarship for black and indigenous students. That's an awesome thing coming up. That's kind of cool. So they're just going to do that like yearly for somebody into their like technology program or something? Uh, yeah, that's going to be a yearly thing. And apparently among the people who have already uh, stepped up to put some money into this are Take-Two Interactive, you know, who bring you Grand Theft Auto, Red Dead Redemption, and a whole bunch of extremely best-selling games. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, the industry is getting behind it, which is awesome. That's pretty sweet, dude. Like that's that that is really cool news. Man, I see okay, so I feel like I really did learn something there. Awesome. Uh mine isn't nearly as exciting, but maybe it'll help some people out as they're going to get vaccinated. Uh, because I got my shot last night and I was like, "You know what? If I am getting a little muscle pain, can I take medication?" And I had to do some research and look at some stuff on the CDC site. Uh, basically, everything says don't take any medication before you get your vaccine. So don't take like, uh, like if you have stuff you're normally taking, you, you have to take it. Just take it, you know. But if you're taking like ibuprofen, Tylenol, aspirin, whatever, this don't take that unnecessarily. Don't prep for your vaccine effectively. Just go get it. And then afterwards, if you start having symptoms and you normally can take those for whatever reason, then go ahead and you can take it safely. Which I did. I took two Tylenol last night and, you know, because I was like, eh, my temperature is going up. I don't want to like, you know, maybe I can help break a fever or something. And I woke up fine. Like, no. And now I'm not saying like, you know, it's going to be the same for everybody. You know, your body, talk to your doctor, all that. But just thought that was neat because I know I was understanding that you weren't supposed to take any medication, you know, for 24, 48 hours afterwards. But uh, the research they had done says like even from doctors who have gotten their shots and taken the pills, they said like, yeah, there's no problem. 
Just don't do it beforehand. And the main reason is not, they actually don't think it'll do anything to you negatively to take it beforehand. But their concern is that it could make it to where your vaccine doesn't work fully. And they're still researching that. But the concern is that if your body starts basically trying to figure out the best way to describe it, like because the way the vaccine works, it's trying to set your body up to create the things it needs to fight off a potential virus if it shows up. If you take something like Tylenol, ibuprofen, whatever, like it could suppress some of those things that it needs to be doing so you won't get a fully effective vaccine as soon. I guess, is the way I read it. So that's why they don't want you to prep for it. But anyway, there you go. We we gave you a little bit of news and a little bit of health stuff. So like we're we're educating people on a lot of fronts today. But time to get into some other news. Just after we recorded last week, we had news from Winds of the Coast saying... They're canceling rivals in the MPL. And the interesting thing here is I think me and Brian, and you tell me if I'm wrong, but I think we're on opposite sides of this issue. It sounds like we are on opposite sides of this one. Because I don't think this is a bad thing. But I have a feeling you think this is very much a bad thing. Well, I was now obviously, you know, people were already... I would say a lot of people loved MPL and rivals, but yeah, absolutely. Probably replace that system, but to just say, "Hey, we're not gonna have a path to be a professional Magic player" is probably not upset. Well, well, here's the thing, though. They didn't say there weren't gonna be high level events and there weren't gonna be big prizes. But they did say that you won't be able to live off of it. They, they basically Blake said that much. Well, yeah, but but their goal is to not have a self sustaining thing that they are financing, and I think that's very important because when we look at other esports. Though, like, for an example, let's say we take League of Legends or or Overwatch or whatever. The parent companies, when you're talking about Blizzard and Riot, they aren't paying the pros directly. They run the tournaments, they tell you how to qualify and all that, and they give the prize money. But it's outside entities, third parties, that set up these, I don't know what you're going to call them, like houses where teams the people go and train. Yeah. Right. And some of those teams are owned by actual, like, sports team owners, like actual big franchises and stuff. And to me, that makes more sense. Like, I think that's been the flaw in this whole system the whole time. But I think, you know, to get there, the the main company has to put in an investment that's actually worth having a pro magic team. Sure. But we can still have that. Like the money that was going to the pro league, they've already now granted, we don't know how much of it's going to go where, like, I mean, that that's debatable, obviously, but they did say they wanted to do more events and have more money and still do PTQ pro tour like events. So there sounds like there will still be a qualifying system, but, and, you know, and large prizes, it's just, there won't be a thing where they're paying whatever that was like 75 to a hundred people or whatever every year, just on a contract. And, and here's the other thing too, I have to say, like when Looking at, like, here's here's the real thing. Like, what were most of those pros doing for Wizards? Most people can't answer that question. 
Because I would say they're playing the game at the highest level. They're teaching the rest of us how to play the game better. Many of them are creating content, teaching you how to play the game better. But they'll do that if Wizards pays them directly or not. No, some of them are some of them are going to Hearthstone and Legends of Runeterra if we believe their social media accounts. But if they are, they're going to another system anyway. Like they're still going to have to find a team. They're still going to have to do all that other stuff. You know what I'm saying? And like, even when they, when they went to when they stopped the pro tour, they lost a bunch of people, and they still made a ton of money. Like I, I guess saying. thing we agree on is that regardless of what they do, Wizards is going to make a ton of money. But that that's it at the end of the day. Because here's here's my argument. Like when we first started this MPL thing a couple years ago, and they were paying them like 75k at the time, I believe it was. Part of your contract was you had to also stream and do PR and do all this other stuff, right? To the point that they even, I remember they did a seminar to have some of the pros come out to like give them tips on streaming and how to deal with public relations and stuff like that, right? Because, and that to me says even Wizards is aware that like, okay, a bunch of these people are not the best personalities. Like we're going to have to coach them up. But then a bunch of them were like, well, I don't really want to stream and I don't like streaming or whatever, blah, blah, blah. So then they were like, fine, we're going to take that out of the contract, but we're going to pay you less. So I think they made, I don't know, 60000 or 65000 now, whatever it is. So now they lost another promotional avenue from those people. And then at the end of the day, most of them are good players, but they are not personalities. I mean, they're just not. And that's not an insult. I mean, it's just not who a lot of them are. And I don't know what you do with that as a company because you can't. We can't even use you in like PR material. We can't have you come out to speak for things. That's like the now, thing, though. I mean, if you, if you look at Twitch, I mean, I watch. You know, I, I'm not going to call anybody's name. But there's a lot of people I see that are high level players in games such as Fortnite, League of Legends, that have thousands of people watching them, but they don't even have time to talk to anybody. The, the chat is going, you know, t- t- but they're really good at the game, so they have thousands of people watching them. So yeah. You don't even need to be necessarily the best personality if you're really good at the game people will watch you would think so but i think the difference is the culture in the games because a bunch of the magic players don't want to be on streams like they just didn't want to and i don't know what you do with that but the same thing and i've argued before one of the reasons i think magic will always look different from other games at the highest level is that a large component to magic that you're trying to target is also people who gather to play games. Like when there's a big tournament online on a Saturday, you might be at your local store playing in the PTQ at the same time. So, I mean, hell there's been times I've been at hell, even in my store when I had it, like we had a pro tour playing or whatever in the store, but that also is counting as one view when I have a room of like 80 people. Now, I don't know how often that's happening everywhere, whatever, but you know what I'm saying? Like, there's some number where you're just going to have a bunch of people gaming and gathering in person that just aren't going to be online. A bunch of people, Magic players, just don't engage with the game that way. Whereas when you're playing a video game, the only way to engage with it really is online. So your audience is already there. So I think the whole approach has to just be different than other esports too. And I think we kind of have to... Um, I honestly, we kind of have to, and some of this is Wizards doing, is even just going down the road of calling it eSports because it puts everybody in the same mindset of saying like, oh, we're well, here should be all of our expectations. And they're not the same. They are very, very different. Just the fact that there's a paper component at all changes everything. 
but I don't know, man. Like I, people here's the thing too. And I don't know how, I guess it comes down to what your social circles look like, but, and, and I will say this, like it does suck for the people I know that are pro players and the people pros that have gotten to work with or whatever. Cause they've been good dudes. I mean, nice people for sure. But at the same time, like, I get it. And people that are being mad that Wizards are like, well, they're going to do this, but they don't have a full plan laid out yet, and they should have told us, and blah, blah, Like, this is a can't-win situation. Like, Wizards is trying to do the right thing, and what, 15 months in advance? Tell people, like, hey, this is not going to be a thing in 15 months. So you get forever to plan. Hell, I would love to have been at any job ever. Or hell, even people that I've had to let go, I would have loved to let them know a year and a half in advance. I mean, yeah, definitely the right thing, you know, to let them know in advance, but I still feel like getting rid of the pro magic thing is the wrong thing. So yeah, kudos for the notice. Absolutely. I still think it's a wrong-headed decision. But to what end, though? Like, what what has been the benefit of keeping it all this time? I mean, first of all, it has 20 years of history. You can't put a price tag on that. No, but there, again, most games that I've played didn't last 10 years. But let's be Yet clear, you've been though. able to play a game professionally. But but let's be clear, though, there will still be top level tournaments. There will still be prize pools. There just will not be a direct MPL. And that's again, that's going to that's going to affect the pool. We're going to lose as yet undetermined number of pro players. Do you honestly think there won't be pro players? I'm not saying there won't be pro players, but I'm saying there will be some people that leave. Yes, there will be. But you know what? The average Magic player rotates out of the game every five to seven years anyway. But now, that's, again, that's the average player. I'm yeah. the average player. Does the average pro rotate out every five years? Because they're way above average. I don't know. But, like, even if you look at the pros, though, we only have a handful that have still been around for more than seven, eight years. And many of those left because they hated the current system. Sure. But here, here's the thing, too. Like, as much as players were like, oh, I hate the new system, blah, blah, blah. And this is what players asked for. People kept saying, pay the pros. We should have a pro system. We should do this. People should be able to be paid and make a living and blah, blah. Well, the only way you can do that is to have this type of paid system. And it can't be infinite to keep letting people qualify for it. Like, there has to be some relegation where people get bumped and some people can earn spots in. But it becomes difficult because you want to have this stable set up where people can be pros if they're yeah we, we wanted that but we also didn't want a system where people that have played professionally for decades didn't know how to qualify <laughs> that was bad that I agree not with. the player's fault totally i agree with there but the truth is the average player even if they understood the system weren't going to get in anyway like people like the idea of i can go to a local store pro tour whatever go to a grand prix Spike a win, hit a top eight or whatever, and then go play on the pro tour. Now, granted, COVID obviously changes all that, right? We haven't been able to do in-person events for, hell, a year and a half now. Like, that that I get. But that aside, like, that's the system we had and people griped about it. And now people are going like, oh, well, let's go back to the thing we had before. I really like that better. And it's like, well, Yeah. Because it's the illusion of potential success. Well, that's like we just talked about people, you know, paying into the lottery that they have no chance to win. Yeah. It it benefits Wizards if people that have zero chance of being pros pay money into the system and attempt to qualify. 
Oh yeah, it's it's the whole thing with like the World Series of Poker, right? Like these things have six thousand entries or whatever. And yeah, that's free money. The reality <laughs> is, if you look at those events, maybe ten percent of the room has a real chance of making like the final day. Right. I would say probably a third to half, maybe have a chance of like finishing in the money. The rest are just hoping to get lucky for a week. You know, like that's that's literally it. But the fact is, because they see somebody do it, they're like, okay, well, maybe this could be me. Like people with more dollars than cents are like, I'll pay my $10,000 and then I'm going to take a shot at this and see if I could get 6 million. And I get it. And it's the same thing for magic events. Like how you've, you've seen it at qualifiers where yeah. you'll have those tryhards that show up 10 times in a season, traveling to every single tournament they can go to and don't even make a top eight. But they're still out there trying because the dream is a possibility. All you gotta do it's is it's fun. It also, like there's a lot of yeah. games, and God, I want to talk about how many games I follow. But yeah, for example, I watch football. I can't go out there and and play football with the Saints. I, I I'm not good enough. I could go to a pro tour, you know, or, or a qualifier, and maybe luck of luck, I get matched up against somebody that I've only seen on Twitch. I get, get to hey, at least try my luck. I, I fully expect to get beat down, but it's a thing I can do. You know, I'm glad you actually brought that up because I see a lot of people online, too, trying to say, like, well, the NFL or the NBA or the NHL wouldn't cancel their pro thing because the casual person can't be a pro or whatever. And it's like, those are not the same. Like, the difference in those is that in the NFL, the televised games on Sunday are the product. Right? For Magic, those events are not the product. They could be, and and last no, year they never can tried be. to make. I disagree. They never can be. Well, they will be part of the product, but they will never be the main focus of the product. Like you, they make whatever, like probably three, four hundred million dollars by the end of this year selling paper cards. It is not going to be the product. Like Arena has a ton of people play it. Great, you're gonna make a bunch of money, but they're not making money by people watching the games. Like NFL makes literally hell Amazon I think But paid that's them. because that's because they screwed up. They have I'm not going to say they're going to make 400 million, but they could do much better than what they did. Better? Yes, but not enough. That's the that's the argument I have. Like could they do more? Absolutely. Could they make more? 100%. But I don't think they'd ever make enough to make it matter. Because I mean and again, when we're comparing you know other pro sports or whatever, like Amazon paid the NFL, I believe last year or the year before, like almost $2 billion just for the streaming contracts for like two years, I think it was. Like, that's insane. But that tells you how much those televised games make. Like, because that's the only way all of us can engage with the NFL. But we, we turn our League of on. Legends currently has higher ratings than the World Series, so it can be done. <laughs> Yes, but how much money are they making? Like the World Series, I guarantee you, still makes more money than League of Legends. But like, you got it's gaining. I mean, yeah, are they getting viewers? Sure. How much money is Major League Baseball making in, say, Korea? That's probably a better comparison. That's fair. But that's also not their focus. They just use Korea to just find players to bring over to the MLB. <laughs> like That's all they do over there. And don't get me wrong, like I said, I'm not saying there is zero money in it. I think there very well could be. 
I just don't think it's what everybody thinks it is. Like, and I, and again, I am still going to play tournaments once they're available again. Oh, right? I am too. I'm still going to go to qualifiers, you know, whatever. Like, and honestly, I've seen a lot of casual people. They're saying they are actually happier. We're going back to the old system. So I, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I feel like the vocal minority are trying to make it sound worse than it actually is. I mean, and it's pretty bad. It is, I, you know, I, I will almost, I'd be willing to take a bet that in two years, we won't even care. Like there'll be people who come into the game that won't even notice. There'll be people who are still trying to make the pro tour for the first time. There will still be the top. I almost guarantee you, you're still going to see your LSVs, your Apollos, whatever. If they want to keep playing, like there's still going to be money there for them. They're still going to show up to Grand Prix. They're still going to try to qualify for the pro tour. And I'll grant you, yeah, the top, let's say, especially top five or 10%, any system you give them, they're going to make money because they are the elite. They will go out there and whatever the number is that you got to hit every week to keep putting food on the table, they'll be able to hit that number. But those are the only people anybody knows in any, hell, video game related sport. I don't think anybody, like, you know, I follow a little TFT. I follow a couple other things and like, I can't name more than the top probably five or six people. But every now and again, you get a great story. Like, let's say at Evo, there's... There, there might be a you know an eight year old kid playing Hulk because that's his favorite character that goes out there and just houses somebody that's a pro and it's a huge story for like however long that tournament lasts and everybody is cheering for that eight year old kid who's not playing the meta he's playing his favorite character and we'll still get that I mean you can still qualify and still have that opportunity on the pro tour I mean it's our Chris Kavartek right he played arena. He qualified for one of the invitationals. He did well and top aided, and you know he qualified for the next couple of tournaments. So that that can still happen. That's what I'm saying. None of this changes because the pros aren't there. It's literally just the actual payment going to those top. Well, some of it changes because I know if I were in that eight year old kid's position, and the only way I would ever get my mom to take me to that tournament was to convince her, hey, there was money at the end of this rainbow. If you still showed her that one tournament and said the top prize for this tournament is whatever it's going to be, $25,000 or whatever, that's still going to be enough for most parents versus hell. And honestly, the kid couldn't even get pro money anyway, because you have to be at least 18 to sign the contract or whatever regularly. So that would be the only and that's still going to be a thing. Like you'll still win 10,000 for or whatever for winning a Grand Prix. You know, all that's still going to be a thing. Now, I will say. Would it be nice if there was more fleshed out, more detailed stuff? Absolutely. But we do have to be reasonable. Like we are literally getting to just now getting to a point here, even in the United States. I think at the end of this month, they're going to allow people to do FNMs again for the first time. So with the world still changing, hell, right now, Wizards don't even know what venues they'd be able to use if they wanted to. You don't know who's going to be open, when they're going to be open, how many people are trying to schedule stuff for the first time. As a matter of fact, we're doing the Hunter Burton Memorial Open in August this year, and we're going to be one of the first major Magic tournaments. So 
we've been having that conversation of like, we are basically setting the protocols and the standard that other people at least start from. Now they may change it or whatever, but they're going to, people will be looking at us running that event to be like, well, what did they do? What worked for them? What didn't? Whatever. Right. And hell, wizards probably will too. But like to ask them to just tell us like, Hey, show us what the new system is then. Like that doesn't even make sense. It really doesn't. Now, if we get to, let's say, November, and they're telling us, okay, we want to start the new thing in January, February, and we don't have anything by then, okay, then we can start like, hey, look, if y'all want us to be doing tournaments in 2022, like, y'all are going to have to let us know something. But to expect them to tell us for something that starts the beginning of next year in April this year, like, come on, like, we, we got to have some type of rationality like that's just not i mean that's, that's just not fair to anybody who has to work on that because here's what's worse because if they did that and then come october november they were like hey remember that stuff we told you in april we're gonna change all that because things have changed then they would have been getting hell for like well we were already planning this and people done that and y'all are always changing stuff or whatever and it's like they're not gonna win so if i were them i would just wait to tell us too doesn't make any sense to put stuff out there early. I wouldn't. If you're going to catch hell anyway, I would rather just catch hell for just putting out the final thing when it's all ready. But like I said, I'm at least giving them kudos for saying, hey, a year and a half in advance, you at least know what's up. Yeah, that's the one point I think we both agree on is that, hey, 15 months of notice is a good thing. Yeah, and it was weird to even see people still mad about that. And I'm like, that was the best thing they could have done. So, you know, within two years, you will not be able to rely on this money. You have a, a year and a half to make a plan. That's great. Like, what What would you, like, what more would you want them to do? Like, man, I just feel like as players, sometimes we are just, we're just unpleasable. <laughs> like, I really do feel that way. But, it, you know, I think, again, it'd be interesting to come back and, at least revisit this conversation once we see what next year's events look like, kind of what the prize money look like, stuff like that. So I think that'll change the narrative to the story a pretty significant bit. But it was a good good chat other otherwise. Definitely. Uh, in somewhat related news, uh, there was an old pro that goes by the name of Zvi Malshowitz. I don't know if you know them. Feel free to look them up. He posted something online that effectively tried to, what's the proper word, conflate the success of Commander with pro players. And that was very weird. Because other than pro tours and Grand Prix existing, and judges that work those were looking for something fun to do because they're not getting to play magic, but they have to watch magic for a full weekend. They came up with a format of some fun stuff they could do after hours. That's about it. Like pros didn't care about commander up until recently. There were a bunch, there was, I would say there weren't a lot of pros who even openly talked about or played commander. And they're not driving the prices or anything. It's not like you have, LSV out here telling people, like, pick this up for this commander. This is the hot card or whatever. Like, that's not even happening. 
So it was, it was very weird. I I don't. Did you see that post, by the way, or that discussion? I did not, but you know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't hear when Commander really got started, so I wouldn't have been able to dispute it. So by all means, you go ahead and give us the background on that. Yeah, it, it really was a very organic thing, you know. And it's funny because some people also said like, "Well, Commander didn't take off until Wizards." got their hooks in it or whatever. It's like, no, it's the other way around. Wizards only got involved in it because it was taking off and there was money in it. And and truthfully, there was a point early on, and I think people forget this, that like Commander had gotten so big, people were telling Wizards like, hey, you should probably be doing stuff for us Commander players because we're buying a lot of stuff and we're buying a lot of singles. And, you know, and then Wizards were just like, cool, F it. We're just going to make some Commander decks in. And then it became a yearly product that they sold out of all the time. So it's definitely a very organic, casually grown thing. It was not a pro player thing. And it was weird because the timing just felt bad. Like with everybody already talking about, you know, like we discussed with the MPL and Rivals thing going away. And it was like, I don't know, it almost came off as a way for people to try to justify that pros were needed for all aspects of magic. And it's just not the case. Like, I will say this, like what pros are good for, is for PR, for, in some ways, helping build, like, the metagame, you know, for for almost intangibles more than anything else. But they're not necessarily big for building the casual community, for selling boosters, for doing that. Like, they give justifications for things. You know, like, that's, that's kind of what it is. Like, somebody comes in and goes, well, you know, I'm going to get these cards because I might be able to win some money this weekend at, like, the Grand Prix or something. You know, and that's that's kind of what it's for. But like, if you ask the, and I've done this before, if you ask the average person who walks into a game store to identify five pictures of the top five pros, they usually can name like one. Like those groups are not just same groups, and that's fine. It's totally okay. Like all those groups can exist, but yeah, pros definitely do not drive and push commander on on any metric at all. Like the. The biggest names in Commander or competitive Commander or whatever, I don't think a single one of them is a pro player, at least to my knowledge. (laughs) That may change now as pros look for other avenues to make money. Maybe, you know, and I don't don't think it'd necessarily be a bad thing. But yeah, as it stands right now, the ones I can think of, I think a couple of them have played on the pro tour a time or two, but they're not like full-time pros. So I'm not sure where that even comes from. But I, I just thought it was really interesting that that came up because I don't know why that would have even have been an assumption. All right, so for those of you who don't know, one of the big video card manufacturers, uh, NVIDIA, has decided they are going to try to restrict the data mining capabilities of their latest 30 series cards. So if you may have heard about them, they put out a new series of video cards uh, late last year that were the 3090, the 3080, 3070. I think the 3060, I think is the lowest it goes. And people were excited about these, you know, especially with us nerds. Right? We were a bunch of people were getting into streaming. A bunch of people want to start playing more of these high end games. And some people were taking their their stimmy money, as people call it, you know, getting their stimulus and they were going to buy cool new ma- machines. Right. They were getting new computers and stuff. And lo and behold, these video cards were crazy expensive. I mean, in some cases, the video cards were more than half the cost of their machines. 
even building high-end machines. And the reason being is a bunch of people that are mining stuff for cryptocurrency are basically hoarding these video cards because they're the strongest video cards in the market, which means you can get more processing done. And NVIDIA being aware of this is like, all right, well, what if we just change the capabilities on these cards so they just aren't as good at that particular process? And the hope is that by doing it, the price of the cards will come down and the cards will be more readily available for people, which I think is actually pretty smart. And for people that don't know, one of the reasons these cards are going up is they're particularly good at mining Ethereum. And Ethereum has had a big boost somewhere around the beginning of this year. And I believe it's partly because of NFTs. Yeah, because a lot of them use uh, Ethereum for their gas, as they call it. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's what's been driving it. And they're better for mining Ethereum than even Bitcoin, is my understanding. So if more people are using Ethereum and Ethereum's going up, it's like, well, hey, if we can mine that and it's going to be the coin of use for a lot of people, well, it makes sense that the people mining coins want more of these video cards. And I'll tell you, I have seen some pictures from some setups that people are using these cards for. I mean, it's literally like imagine, you know, have you seen the solar panels, right? Where it has like 30 panels on it or whatever. Imagine something like that, but it's just video cards. Like, that's what some people are doing. Like, they're getting these video cards and hooking them up to machines and just processing as much data as they can. Like, it's really ridiculous. So credit to NVIDIA. I just thought it was a cool story to share that, you know, people may not be aware of. So if you've had your eyes on these particular cards, I would say hold off for probably about another 45, 60 days. See if the price comes down a little bit uh, as the latest ones, hopefully, uh, will not do all the crazy mining, crazy mining that people really need. All right. Now, I don't know if this happened to you, Brian, but this is a little bit conspiracy theory. Imagine I hit a button and have the X-Files music here. You know, um, but... We had a situation where I noticed quite a few creators on YouTube last, eh, let's say over the past like six, seven days, were saying that their views were down. And you know what? I started looking at myself. I'm like, mine were a little bit down too. And I wasn't doing anything particularly different. I wasn't. And matter of fact, last week, I didn't even like A-B test anything or try anything new. So it was a little weird. But. Then, and I will say, they're back to normal now over the last, like, 48 hours. But I did notice, and I don't know how many people this happened to other than me, but I got a lot of Google Fi ads. Like, a lot, a lot. Like, not even joking, 90% of the ads I got were Google Fi, to the point that I was surprised when I got a non-Google Fi ad. And they were all, like, they took, like, different, like, casual light styles of music and it looked like they were rotating them about every 20 hours or so. Because there was four, either four or five different. I think there was four different ones. And then what's weird is I haven't seen one since. So I had that stretch where I saw them multiple times a day. And then I haven't seen one in the last 48 hours. So my conspiracy theory is that Google didn't push as hard to share a lot of the videos to pay extra ad revenue because they were spending some of their own money to put up a bunch of Google Fi ads to a bunch of people on YouTube. And they weren't getting a bunch of outside money. Don't know if that's true or that's even how that works, but 
weird conspiracy theory myself. But I don't know. Did that happen to you? Did you get the Google Fi ads? Because I got a bunch. Uh, I, I didn't see any more than normal, and my numbers actually were up. And that's because I released a couple more videos than I usually would. So that's probably what that was. Oh, that's fair then. Maybe maybe it was just my corner of the world on the, on the Google Fi ads. Now, are you talking about seeing the ads like on your channel or just everywhere? Oh, no, everywhere. So like if I'm watching okay. other people's videos, they were popping up. Because I like, I'll be honest. After I'm done editing or whatever, I rarely just watch my video unless somebody has a question or point something out in it. I normally just hit play and then just let it run in the background. So I just get credit for a full view on it. Just real talk. I don't I don't watch my own videos in full because like I don't think I have anything to gain because I've already seen them multiple times by the time it goes live. So I can understand. <laughs> but I do get the credit for the view. And then when it's done, I click the like button. So, you know, got to got to help myself out in that manner. Yeah, I don't know. Like I said, it's probably nothing. Whatever it was is passed anyway. Like I said, it looks like views are normal and everything now. I just thought it was all kind of funny. But either way, if you don't know about Google Fly, go check it out because they were promoting the hell out of it. All right, and this is just a really quick little side note, but uh, as of earlier today, just before we went live, because it was weird that it wasn't a morning announcement, it came at like three o'clock local time that Thassa's Oracle's banned in historic. Now, well, I don't know. How do you feel about that, Brian? I'll ask you first. It seems like it, it's been coming for a long time. It's just, it, it, in other formats, you know, just fun card, <laughs> something you probably can't pull off in historic. It's apparently become entirely too easy to pull off. So I don't think anybody was shocked by this. Yeah. And that's like, I'm, I would have been fine with both Oracle and Tainted Pack going away, but I know people would hate that, but I'm, I'm a big proponent of like, if a thing is even a potential problem, let's just get rid of it. But I do understand the argument of if people had a choice, they would rather Oracle go away than Tainted Pack. And some people are like, oh, well, of course, Wizards want to do that because Oracle's an older card or whatever, and Tainted Pack's a new one and it's selling boosters. It's like, that's, that's not really it. It's more that you can still play a Tainted Pack deck without Thassa's Oracle. So you can play like one of the Jaces and stuff like that that can still help you win with your deck being emptied, but it's a turn slower at a minimum. And you do have to set some extra things up and then you have to like try to protect the Planeswalker. And, you know, there's there's other elements going on. So it makes the deck more fair instead of having it just try to go off and there's not much you can do about it. And I'm okay with that. I think that's where we want to be when it comes to having creative decks, having people and, you know, people like playing combo stuff. So having the combo still be around is fine. I think that's justifiable. There is a group of players that likes combo and you're not taking you're not making the combo go away entirely. You're just making it more fair. And the good part is, if you like that deck, you can basically still play it but it's just going to look slightly different. So you don't lose all your other cards that you put toward building that deck. Whereas I think if Tainted Pact went away, especially when you're talking about like Arena, because that's the only way you play Historic. If Tainted Pact goes away, then you pretty much have to blow up the deck. And then that's a real feel bad, because now people have to take all those wild cards they spent or whatever, and then like now they're without everything, and it, it becomes a much bigger bigger situation. So I'm actually okay with Thassa's Oracle going away. 
And it's important for, you know, there to be some kind of viable combo in the format, just not <laughs> for it to be the dominant thing. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it also makes for bad viewing, right? When you saw so many tainted pack decks going up against each other at the top level, it was just like, yeah, okay, we get this thing again. And it just wasn't fun to watch. I mean, it was either watch somebody play a game of chicken to see who blinks first so something doesn't get countered, or just, you know, can I just pedal to the metal, outrace them before they get the combo parts? And that just wasn't fun. So I'm actually okay with this coming into being a more fair deck, we'll call it. But honestly, in my experience, Thassa's Oracle, anytime we've seen it, whether it's been standard, commander, historic, it's just not been fun with whatever people are trying to do with it. So the card going away, I don't really have a problem with that. Now, time to set the dinner table. And this is actually one of those things, kind of comes back to our earlier conversations today. Where we want to talk about just casual play versus competitive play. Because I think one of the hardest things for the average or actually not an average. I think one of just the hardest things for players, a lot of players, to understand is that the average player or buyer consumer for a game has no competitive aspirations. Right? They're not looking to play at the top level or win the top prize money. I mean, hell, Brian, like you've played a ton of games. How many of those have you genuinely tried to go top level with? I mean, a lot of the games I played didn't have a top level, but everything I played that had some kind of, you know, uh, tournament structure, I would try to go for it. Like raw deal had, had that. I mm -hmm. definitely tried to go for that as often as I could versus system. I actually had, I had nine credits for versus pro circuit. You did 10 to qualify. And then they, then they blew up their pro tour. So that's my bad yeah. beat story right there from versus system. Yeah. Partial invites are, pre are pretty cool. I, I wouldn't mind seeing that come back for, for multiple games. Yeah. For me, it's like, there's things, you know, like I said, we're talking about team fight tactics, right? Cause that's the other game I kind of spent some time dabbling in. Like, I know I'm never going to be top level in that, but I still enjoy playing it. Right. Not like would I sign up for a TFT tournament. Like, yeah, I don't even know. Probably not. I mean, I guess if I needed it, well, see, it's weird. I would probably do it for content, but I don't know that's if I would just do it for myself. That's the thing. You're a content creator. You can't say what you won't do. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I think if I had enough people who wanted to watch me do that, I would. But if I was just going to play by myself on like a Saturday afternoon, like I probably wouldn't sign up for one. But I enjoy the game, you know? I, I, I'm trying to think what other games there, there's some games I do and some, like, you know, I played some Warhammer. I played some, uh, war machine played a couple of tournaments. I don't think I played any Warhammer tournaments. I played like a couple war machine tournaments, but that was it. Like I had no aspirations of like, okay, I'm going to play in the national championships and whatever. Just like, wasn't a thing, but I still bought the miniatures for it and stuff. Still painted them in the whole nine yards. But I would say even, you know, casual player, like let's say at your local Friday Night Magic, there's people that maybe they don't ever plan to play 
anything bigger than their own pond, but they love being the shark in that pond. They're a spike. They always play whatever the best deck is, and they enjoy curb stomping everyone else. Those people exist, but I don't even know if that person really fits any mold other than, you know, they have social issues they're trying to deal with. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, just being real about it. Like, you know the people, you know. Like, I don't know what they're really bringing to the table anyway. I mean, they enjoy winning. I get that. Yeah, but there's also the people that, you know, and, you know, half of them are just blowing smoke. But they would come in and be like, oh, well, I beat all my friends all the time or my deck's better than this, that, and the other. And then you try to get them to come play a tournament. And they're like, no, I'm good or I'm busy or whatever. And they had, like, infinite excuses, right? Because they were happy knowing they could just beat their friends. And that was enough. So, like, I don't know where people like that fit into the system. But I don't know. Like, you play Overwatch. What is, like, what's your level of engagement? Like, are, are you looking for Overwatch tournaments? Oh, I, I am not. I don't know if that's the thing that they even, I know it's a league. I'm certainly not good to play in the league, but I don't. I don't think there's really very many organized Overwatch tournaments outside of, you know, what they they do professionally. I haven't seen any. I would probably, if they had one locally, I would sure probably go try to play. Okay. Yeah, I've never I, seen a, a local Overwatch tournament. They actually do exist, believe it or not. Uh, there's, oh, what is the name? I'll have to find it off the air, but... There are some groups that run them online, actually, that they do a couple of things. And they're, none of them okay. are big. I mean, they're like 20-person tournaments and stuff, you yeah. know, just for people to goof around. But there, there are groups that run them. But it's really interesting. I think there's, a, there's an assumption, even from the people who show up to like the FNMs and stuff like that, that everybody's trying to be competitive. And it's like, no, there's a lot of people that just want to build their like really crappy goblin deck. And then just do some, like, six-card combo. You know, like, those people are a thing. I am definitely one of those people. (laughs) Well, see, there you go. That's what I'm saying. And it's, and I don't think people understand just how big and how, how big that pool of people is and how much money that casual pool is worth. Oh, I think we understand now. It's worth about $806 billion in, in 2020. Well... Roughly, <laughs> but but it's it's really interesting, right? Because as an experiment, I was just like, I know this is true, but I'm just going to put this out there to retailers. So a matter of fact, I will go look this up while we're actually uh, recording. But I went I, I'm I've told you before, I'm part of one of these retailer groups still that I started ages ago and it has people from all over the world in it. And it's several members large at this point. We're at like twelve hundred uh, members. And I decided I was because people were arguing and I was like, I'm going to make a point just to show people the average store makes their money from casual players. They're not making the bulk of their money from competitive players. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some stores that will because, you know, they do mostly drafts or whatever. And people come play every Wednesday and every Saturday and whatever. And that is a thing for some stores. But those stores are the exception, not the rule. And I think, unfortunately, some people were playing in some of those or went to some of those stores and didn't realize that like, no, that's not how every store is. And 
to put in point, I ask people, thinking of your MTG sales, how would you say they're more driven? And we had different categories. So it was like by casual players in general, by competitive players buying singles, by casual players buying sealed product, by competitive players in general, or other. And then you could just specify what other was. I can tell you the results were 135 said casual players in general. Three said competitive players buying singles. Three said casual players buying sealed. And two said other. None of them said casual competitive players in general. Like, so you're talking roughly, what is that? 138 to three. And then the two others. Even if we gave the two others, because I have to go look what they posted. But if even if I gave those two others to the competitive crowd, you're still talking 138 to five is what those results came in, that casual players drive the sales. I mean, I can't count the number of times somebody has walked into the store and they basically have the shopping list for their play group. You know, and it's a bunch of just miscellaneous stuff. Like, those are the people coming and buying boosters, coming and buying the the Planeswalker decks, you know, things like that, that the competitive players are not buying. And it's always been this way. And that's the thing, right? I, I wish players would take a step back and look that, like, this is not a new development. I don't think anybody's, well, I would say I don't think anybody, I mean, I'm not arguing your point there. No, but no, I'm but there's still... a lot of people that are, though. Who, who is really saying the competitive makes more money than casual? Oh, no. They they believe that it's recent that casual has started to become a big thing, so Wizards is getting away from it. And I was like, if you just look at all the products they make, between starter products, commander decks, you know, whatever. Or not commander decks. Well, yeah, commander decks, I guess. But also Planeswalker decks. All these other things that the competitive player is not buying, but yet those still sell really well. Like... And they've been doing those for years. Like, they are going to someone that's not the competitive player. Like, they're not going to produce all of these extra products that aren't going to go to somebody, that aren't making them money, and print them for years. And the same thing with, like we said, with the other games. Now, there are competitive circuits, and there are some things where people play, and like, yeah, absolutely. But... Even when we're talking, you know, we're saying like Overwatch or League of Legends or whatever. The majority of people that play are casual players. A bunch of people that are just firing their machine up on a Tuesday night, getting on and playing for two or three hours, and then that's it. And they may not play again for a week. Like, those are the people driving. Those are still the people buying all the skins and, you know, whatever. The new backgrounds and all the extra stuff, right? That That's where their money comes from. And honestly, in my experience, and I don't know how accurate this is for you, but a lot of the competitive players I've known try to spend less. Because for them, it's literally about trying to justify how much money they can make off of doing the thing they're doing. So they're not out there. Yeah, they're not out trying to buy extra box. Hell, a bunch of them are trying to borrow stuff from each other. You know, I they also, I mean, they figured out the odds were like, hey, buying booster packs is like pretty much gambling. Oh, but even beyond that, like they, they will rather, they're going to rather spend more money on travel, gas, food, whatever for their weekend events, you know, all that 
than actually buy cards for a deck. If they can avoid it. And I'd imagine, and I don't know this to be true, I'd have to ask around, but I imagine it's kind of the same thing on some of the online games. That the top people probably aren't buying a bunch of skins and, you know, have access, you know, buying 52 characters and everything else. That's probably not their jam. They probably just get the ones they're good at or the ones they're going to play the most, and then that's it. They probably don't spend any more money. And rightfully so, right? If your goal is like, hey, I play this type of character, this is what I do, I'm just going to get the stuff for it and be good at it, and then just maximize my dollars. But the casual players just don't care. Like That is their play money. That's their fun time. Like They don't care. That's their escapism. So they're going to spend whatever they want to spend on it. But like I said, I just found it interesting that so many people were talking about the whole casual thing being a new development. And it's like, no, this has never been a thing. Like, and I get it. People keep trying to go further back and say, well, at this point in time, the pros were bigger, more important. And we're like, no, they weren't. They just weren't. <laughs> like, well, I think that the new development is the pandemic. This is where Wizards, I'm sure, realized, oh, crap, we got this much money and nobody could leave their house. That's a new development. Sure, to a point. But I can tell you, having been at Wizards, this isn't new news. Like, I can tell you, literally, my job there, one of the things I did was look at the results from organized play and each format and everything every week. Sometimes daily, which is the whole reason I've also had to argue with people that no, not nearly as many people draft as you think draft draft makes way less money or at least has way less players than constructed events. They never get my money. <laughs> yeah, not. And it's not even a, it's not even close. I mean, people want to believe it, but it is not close. I'm telling you because I've seen the numbers. But same thing here, like Wizards knows. Like, one of the things Mark Rosewater has said before, which people seem to hold it to a hard number, but he was just talking, saying, not even 10% of our players in Magic ever play a competitive event. And I don't even think it's 10%. I think it's closer to, like, 5 to 6%. And other people in the industry that run business and stuff also feel the same thing. But that's what players I don't think understand, is that such a small amount of players engage in competitive play no matter what the game is and not saying it doesn't have a place because like i said i think it's there for justifications for pr for metagame for testing there's a bunch of things that can come out of your competitive play but i think that really shapes how it's financed purchased you know whatever that's it that that top five percent can make you a whole lot of money it makes a lot of money for people outside of the company that much i agree with because again if we talk about i guess the top league of legends players or whatever on the various teams they're making money because they have shared contract structures with their companies the companies are going out and getting sponsors the sponsors put their stuff on the people's jerseys and on their website and social media and they're paying big dollars for that like but the only way that can work for something like wizards would be for well, honestly, I don't even think that works for Withers. It does, because when you, when somebody like, let's say me, you know, local newspaper general assignment reporter goes and reports on this kid that made $200,000 last year playing League of Legends, a bunch of people who have never heard of League of Legends before in their life <laughs> say, hey, Junior, what are you playing over there? 
Did you see this kid that made a hundred thousand dollars for Illegal Legends last year? But then my question to you would be, then why is Riot not paying that kid directly? Because that's what people are asking wizards to do. Like that that's the thing. Like if we Well, like Riot to... did it. Riot didn't have a 20-year pro tour. It'd be different if Wizards had never did it before. But once well, you've not... done it for 20 years, people kind of expect you to keep doing it. But they haven't. They've only had paid pros for the last, what, two and a half years. They've had a pro tour and they've had prizes and tournaments where which they say they're going to continue doing, but you're not going to have paid pros like we had for the last two years. And they're not going to have appearance fees either. I'm okay with that too. That's a thing they had for what, I guess. 20 years or so. No, that's that also came later. That was like a five, four to five year stretch, I believe. That was something that got developed over the course of time for the Grand Prix. So even that wasn't something that was there in the beginning. It was it was like the precursor to setting up a thing where you can just pay the pros for, for playing. But again, I, I and the thing is, and me just being a business person, being a marketer, I am okay if a company wants to pay for that and they are getting use out of those people. Like if you're showing up and you're, you're, I don't know, doing autograph signings or you're taking pictures or you're doing seminars or whatever, then cool. We are able to leverage the money that we're paying you. But if we're just paying you just to play, I'll let you figure it out and some other company come deal with that. Because as a company, I don't know how you expect them to justify it because it's not nearly enough. And But that's and- their fault. That's not ours. <laughs> Sure, but it still doesn't change the situation. Like somebody else is just going to have to step up. You're going to have to have some outside entities pay these people. And to be fair, you already had some people like Seth Manfield. I think he's gotten outside sponsorship with a big esports company or whatever. So that's still a thing. Like it can still be done. But I think a lot of people weren't pursuing it. And there was like, oh, well, Wizards will pay me. I'll just take that. But I even asked people, I said, for the people that are even engaged, with whatever pro level it is, like how many top pros can you name from each of the games that you play or follow? Like I said, for team fight tactics, I could name like maybe three. For for magic, I could name a few, but I'm very in, engaged with magic. You know, when I see them. And I agree that's true teams. for a lot of people. While they might not be able to name the person, they can probably name the deck. Like who like who told you Call Blade was good? You didn't figure it out. You looked at a net deck somewhere. Who came up with the deck? But the decks are still going to be found. Like, do you honestly believe? But will they be as good? Yes, I honestly believe that. I 100% believe that. Because you are always going to have grind. We've had people that were grinding the, the Star City circuit. And they were coming up with good decks on the Star City circuit. And that wasn't a pro tour level thing. Obviously before the pandemic, but like. So it can totally still be done. Like decks were being developed by players on their, I guess we'll call it their tour. So yeah, if if there's, if there's money in it, people are going to try and they will get there. Hell, we're seeing people that are no names develop decks in arena and they're not pros. I played raw deal and I played magic and I love raw deal, but I'm not sure we we were consistently getting the same quality of deck that the top, the top magic players were generating. Yeah. But I also think those games function very differently. I think we had a few people who were experts in certain superstars and they were always coming up with like the new tech for each of those characters as each set came out. 
but I think that was it. Like it wasn't like magic. You can literally say, okay, we're playing standard. These are the only cards that are available. Let's see what we can find, you know, but the bigger raw deal got you, you had, if somebody wasn't a specialist in a thing, you kind of just looked for the next, whoever came up with the, the most successful version of the thing was just the standard for a little while. But you also didn't have as large of a community either. I mean, for Raw Deal versus Magic, you're talking about probably a tenth the size of the communities. And so, I mean, part of the reason you didn't have as large a community is because there was no way to play that game professionally. I think that's arguable. Because you have something like Versus that did roll out saying from the beginning, we're going to do a yeah. pro circuit, we're going to do these 10K events, we're going to do whatever, and they never came close. But when the money went away, I mean, players vanished, <laughs> websites vanished, <laughs> people that they're, I would even, the game eventually went bankrupt because nobody was playing it anymore. But you know why? Because they never had a casual crowd. Like, that's the honest truth. If you go back and look, it was the Kiblers of the world and whatever that were playing the game and they were they were banking on that and really trying to push the pro thing and they were really trying to push their 10Ks. But, like, there wasn't a casual crowd for that. Like, if you weren't playing in a qualifier or weren't playing in a 10K, a lot of people just weren't playing it if they weren't practicing for an event. Casual players, like, some people bought it just to, like, collect the cards because they were into, like, Marvel art or whatever. But that was it. There really wasn't a casual community for that game. Even now, when they relaunched it, that was the first thing people asked. was like, oh, hey, are you going to bring tournaments back? Are you going to do this thing or whatever? It's like, no. And the new game has not sold nearly as well as it did the first time. Like, you have to have that. Like, in every game, we talk about Pokemon, we're talking about Yu-Gi-Oh!, whatever. Like, they make their money because of casual sales. Hell, there's people... (laughs) true facts there are people who've been buying pokemon for 15 20 years and don't even know the proper rules to play the game like those are casual people like you you have to have that like and that's where the bulk of the money comes from for things honestly i'd say the same thing happened to the uh the world of warcraft game came out of the gates it was all about pushing the organized play Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, every game that came out of the gates pushing organized play did not do great. <laughs> like, I'm going back through my memory and just going like, oh, yep, that game suffered, that game suffered. Uh, the one from the guys at White Wizard Games that uh, it was like Rob Doherty and those guys, again, ex-Magic pros, that, uh, crap, what was the name of that game? But they made a card game. And again, it was setting up to do events at like at Gen Con and at Origins and whatever. And that was short-lived. Was that the spoils or was that... No, not Spoils, but Spoils was another one. That was one where they, they we're going to do this big bus tour over the summer, and we're going to do this thing, and then that thing. I think they got like three sets in, and it went away. And that's what I'm saying. Like, if you just go through history, like it's consistent. The people who are focusing on mostly competitive play haven't really made it. Like, I get that it... it, it helps that it exists and there it does have a place don't get me wrong i'm not saying it's irrelevant but it's not as big a piece of the pie i think as people want to believe it or at least the vocal minority want to believe it is i I would say it's part of the reason for example part of the reason i'm here it's part of the reason i play and play a magic instead of trying to think what else is out now (laughs) Uh, dragon ball z 
Yeah, Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> there are at least ways to justify my expenses. But but a good example though, using Dragon Ball Z as an example, right? They have a pretty good amount of sales. Like, admittedly, they're like number four or five in the market at any given time, but they don't have a quality professional competitive circuit. But they still have a ton of people buying their product. And they're only, I mean, I say only, but they're they're they are basically targeting the casual buyer. So I mean, there's something to that. Whether we want to say there is or not, like the history has shown that just focusing and making that the priority is not necessarily the way that you operate a long-term business. But again, Wizards has the casual play. It, that problem has been solved. They, they didn't, they're not in any of these other games we talked about. Sure, but... but it's but, obvious they have a huge casual base here. And they keep trying to say that, oh, okay, we're going to take we're going to take resources from the pros and we're going to give it to the casual player. First of all, I'll believe that when I see it. But see, that's not how I read their announcement. They just said, we're just no Well, well longer... I think that was one of the... Well, did, did you see the stream? Because well, Blake had a stream and kind of, re- yeah. kind of tried to explain more of this. Yeah. But it and was he more... definitely said that they wanted... or What I came away with was that they want to take some of those resources they were spending on pros and divert that more toward the local and more casual work. Uh, I heard, I took it as more like local, more than just casual, right? Just. Well, I'm, basically, I'm basically saying local and casual are kind of the same. Cause I think local is either people that play, like they're never, even if, even if there was a whole pro tour to qualify for, they don't plan to leave their local store in Dallas, Texas. They're having enough fun right there. Yeah. But he did talk about like, could you set up a thing where there's store to store championships? with different trophies or plaques or whatever or something right custom cards right could you do something i would still see i would still consider that casual well see we're talking about competitive play though we're talking we're just talking about not pro play right and is that more beneficial to them to have more tangible prizes accessible to more people and there are examples for that already that has shown success there's a lot of stores that have moved from having like a big top prize for the tournaments and flattening the prize structure. So more people win something playing in the events and more often than not, they see their attendance go up even when they increase entry fees or whatever, because more people are getting a chance at a thing. So again, it's just the illusion, whether they're going to realistically get or not, but the chance that they can get something increases the odds that they'll want to participate. And I feel like that's reasonable to say, like, okay, what if we toss some more money at like PTQs? What if we toss some more money at regionals or whatever? Like, okay, does that result in more people playing? Like, maybe. I mean, because again, there are some people who say, like, and honestly, that was one of the reasons the pandemic and, and the invitationals online were good for people is because they didn't have the time investment to take a weekend off and go travel and do all this stuff or whatever. But if you could do stuff locally, you're like, well, I want to play competitively, but I can't necessarily go to the Pro Tour. All right, show up. Maybe I win a small prize. I get a cool trophy, whatever. All right, there's still a thing for that. And maybe that's how you have to engage competitive play to to move it up the ladder and have people care. But I don't know. Like I said, I and that's every game. I'm not even just saying Magic. Like I genuinely, I don't know a game where 
most of the players can name more than a couple of the top pros. And there, there has to be a reason for that. Like the average buyer or user for your games just aren't focused on the pro level. Hell, like I, I've followed some games and like, I barely can name even some of the teams that these people are on much less individual people on those teams. But it, it's, I think it's going to be an ever going conversation though, but oh, absolutely. I would, I would like to come back to this, like I said, in another six months, nine months and really yeah. kind of see, I definitely want to see, you know, what they do at local stores. Yeah, for sure. I think that's, that's definitely what's going to shape that conversation. But uh, Brian, why don't you show everybody they can find you on social media? Right. I am Deal Caesar on uh, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and, and our family channel is Alan's Ever After on YouTube. And do I forget something? <laughs> yeah, actually, y'all are getting close, getting up there. Y'all are getting close to monetization. Yeah, we're around 750 now, I think. Yeah, y'all go over, go subscribe to them. You at least find out about Mama. Like that's <laughs> that's, that's that's the star of the show, there, man. For right. Real. <laughs> and as usual you can find me at power dragon p-o-w-r-d-r-a-g-n at just about everywhere but most importantly you can find me at youtube putting up videos every day or just catch me on streaming on facebook and twitch and as always you know i gotta tell you wherever you're listening whenever you're listening good morning good afternoon good evening and good night and please for a bit longer while people are still trying to get vaccinated out there remember to wear your mask wash your hands stay away from other humans that are achy with the covid so we can get back to gaming and gathering sooner rather than later if you'd like to further support color of magic you can find us on our website at colorofmtg.com we also have a patreon if you'd like to donate other patreon.com slash color of magic you can also find us on facebook under color of magic and if you want to follow us along at Twitter, you can find us there at Color of MTG. And as always, please share the podcast around to your friends, your network, people you think might enjoy it, because every little bit helps as we're trying to increase our user base. 